What's up, guys? We're going to do this podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Today, we're joined by Ben DuBose of USA Today Sports. Ben, how are you doing? Doing well, Salman. How are you? I'm doing all right. So before we get started today, I actually want to congratulate Craig Ackerman on getting the play-by-play duties for the Rockets broadcast. So I was actually uh, campaigning for him to get this yep. on, the, on the last podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously biased. He's on the show all the time. He's a friend of both of ours. And I thought he deserved this job, man. I thought he deserved this job like three years ago. Like, I, I, I thought he, he was in line to get it. Uh, they gave him the away games. Or no, was it the home games they gave him? I don't know what no, they, they gave him. They gave him the away because right. Worrell in his final seasons didn't want to do the travel, which makes sense at his relatively advanced age. Right. So they gave him the away games. And I genuinely think Craig is one of the best guys on League Pass today. I'm not just yeah. saying that. I watch all the broadcasts. There's like a, there's a few that I like, and Craig is one of them. Like he manages to split that difference of being he is a fan of the team, obviously he's mm-hmm. a part of the organization, but he, he he's not a homer on the broadcast, which I I really appreciate. I I hate when people are like that on the broadcast. He doesn't complain about fouls and all that stuff. He he plays it straight down the middle. And if you're a Rockets fan, he does get you enthusiastic about the team. He, he's he gets yeah. really into it. Some of his greatest calls, like I remember Game Six Clippers, uh, that was, uh, was in 2015 when they made the Western Conference Finals. That was an amazing call by Craig. Mm-hmm. That was on the radio, by the way. He Absolutely, didn't, he didn't do that on TV. He did it on radio. On the radio, um, he he's awesome. He deserves this. I I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I am too. And I think it's important to have a level of continuity to that position because the Rockets have had so many changes over the past 12 months that I think, you know, the diehards are going to follow this team no matter what, but there could be an element to some of the more casuals checking out if you don't give them at least something that they're familiar with when they want to watch the product of Rockets basketball. An announcer can be a big part of that. And, you know, I wasn't too surprised that we're all stuck around stuck around a little bit longer in a perfect world. Sure, Craig was ready to be a full-time TV guy a few years ago, and I'm glad he stuck it out in Houston. Clearly, this is his passion. This is where he wants to be. He's built a life here, and of course, he's worked with the team for basically two decades now. But I think in the case of Rell, and really, you can go up and down the organization. You can look at Daryl Morey. You can look at Tad Brown. There were a lot of people that were just hanging on, hoping that they could be part of a championship team with... James Harden. Quite frankly, I said it when I left Locked on Rockets a couple of years ago. I planned on leaving after 2018, but they were so close to that title. I said, you know what? I want to be doing this show if they win it all, because there is a special connection when you do that type of daily show. After 2019, I sort of got the sense that the writing was on the wall as far as them as a contender, and I bailed. Of course, the guys officially employed by the organization are going to take a little bit longer than that. But yeah, it didn't surprise me that when James Harden left, that was sort of the catalyst for everyone else, Maury, Tad, and then even people like Bill Worrell to finally make the moves they'd been kind of thinking about for some time. And then that cleared the way for Craig Ackerman. And I just think that's big, especially because there's been so much turnover. And then, of course, for whatever reason, they chose not to bring back Matt Bullard, still have not announced his replacement as a TV analyst yet. So with all that change, it is important for especially the more casual fans, but I think the diehards too, to have some sort of recognizable face or voice in this case. And I think in a time of so many changes, keeping Craig Ackerman is a big win for, well, certainly AT&T Sportsnet. Technically, they're the one that makes the decision, but definitely for the Rockets as well, since it's their games being broadcast. Yeah, and he's been in this market for over a decade. Like the Ro- right. Rockets fans are familiar with him; they like him. Uh, they kind of eased him onto the TV broadcast. So even if you weren't familiar with the radio, you at least heard him the past few mm-hmm. years on TV. So it's it's a smooth transition. Uh, he deserves the job. I, I, yep. I the Rockets broadcasts are going to get a lot more pleasant for me to watch because like they're, they're going to be this is going to be a league pass team for the most part. They they only have four national TV games this year. Mm-hmm. One of them's on TNT. There are, the rest are on NBA TV. So most people are going to be tuning into this team on League Pass. So the fact that they actually have a really competent lead guy there uh, is, is encouraging. I, I, I can't wait to watch them next year. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a fun team. And I've said from the outset that, well, even before we knew who the announcers were going to be, or in this case, one of the announcers still waiting on the TV analyst hire, but I'm really looking forward to this season. And I guess that's a good segue to go into our uh, discussion of media day and the outlook for this team, because everything last year for me, Salman was kind of tinged by even the moments of success 
there was sort of this underlying nagging feeling that, hey, even if they did win, well, they didn't really have any clear building blocks. Well, I guess they had a couple with certainly uh, Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, but none of those are really franchise-type guys. And so even when they did win after James Harden left, there's just sort of this underlying, you know, just nagging feeling at the pit of your stomach that, hey, is this going to compromise your draft odds, which of course were so crucial last year, not having a franchise guy. And then of course, if you weren't in the top four falling all the way to close to number 20, it was like, even when they did win, you couldn't really enjoy it because it's like, okay, then where are you really going in the grand scheme? Not saying I'm expecting them to do a ton of winning this year. You never say never. Maybe they do overachieve. But if they do, then you can fully embrace it because, hey, if they do win a lot of games, it's because the young guys they have in place are somehow uh, ahead of schedule and playing a big part in their success. So there's just a lot more overall to be excited about with the team this year. And I think having a guy that's sort of been on the journey with Rockets fans for a long time in Ackerman plays well into that dynamic. So you you said it, but this is our annual media day preview. I actually don't remember when we started doing this, but basically a few mm-hmm. years ago, I asked you to come on before one of Houston's media days, and mm-hmm. we just kept going. So Ben, as you do every year, explain to the people what media day is. Yeah, media day is basically uh, the first day of school for players and coaches because they've been away all summer, at least for the most part in a media capacity. Now, Rafael Stone did have a press conference after the draft and one after the draft lottery as well, but especially the head coach and the players, it's their time away. Now, granted, it's not like they haven't been doing basketball stuff. We know they've been in the gym. We've seen videos. They went to the Bahamas, but those are not official NBA activities, so they don't have to uh, talk to us in the media. But beyond just, you know, the role of media, because I think it's easy to fall into, you know, putting too much self-importance on this, The reason that it's a big deal is because Media Day is the one day that everyone there is ready to talk about the bigger picture, about perspective. Because during the season and even during training camp, when they report to Galveston on Tuesday, they're going to be talking about what they did that specific day and what they want to do tomorrow. The day-to-day is an ultimate cliche, but in sports, that's the way this works. They are very in-the-moment focused on how they get better that day, how they prepare for the next game on their schedule, so on and so forth. Media day is the one time, other than maybe if there's a huge mid-season trade or something like that, but in that case, it's just the GM, it's the one time that you can sit down with not just Rafael Stone, but the head coach, Stephen Silas, and players up and down the roster, marquee players, that is, and talk to them about what their goals are, what they did over the offseason, basically have a 30,000-foot view discussion about where they are as a franchise, where they're trying to go, what they're doing. Because during the season, it's all going to be about the day-to-day. And I understand why. That's where their focus is. As a professional athlete, you have to be, because if you're not, the other teams are going to have that type of focus and run right by you. So Media Day is a rare discussion to talk about truly high level things and so for those of us in the media that get to be a part of it it's great especially in 2021 because there is an in-person component to it 2020 it was all virtual and while certainly the rockets and everyone involved tried to do the best they could with zooms it's not really it's not an easy way to facilitate a true discussion as opposed to if you're in the same room it's a lot easier certainly with body language, but also to ask follow-up questions, to have it more like a natural conversation. So I think that can get even better answers. And so I'm really, really looking forward to it this year because truly we haven't had a real media day in a couple of years. 2020, they, they did the best they could because of Zoom, but obviously there's limitations to that. And and they did like a media week, which is basically they brought in one mm-hmm. person at a time, which is weird. Right, but, right, right. But whatever, we, we got the job accomplished. And what I really like about media day is like everyone's in a good mood. That and, too. Because yeah. everyone's First day of school. Exactly. exactly. Like at your zero zero, your your record doesn't matter. Pre uh, preseason expectations don't matter. What people thought of your offseason don't matter. Uh and everybody just seems to be a little bit more candid. And for me yeah. as an interviewer, like that that's great. I love I love when yep. everybody's candid. We get the best answers. Everybody has some sort of chip on the shoulder for one reason or another, and that's the best. I I, I love when the subjects are like that. So I, I, I love Media Day because you get all those big picture answers, as you talked about. And it's a, it's a really conducive environment to getting good answers, kind of like Summer League. Summer League is yep. like that, too. Everyone's kind of relaxed, laid back, and you're going to get good answers. And the same thing goes with Media Day. 
Um, Especially for a team like the Rockets, where you fear there could be a lot of losing. Again, you never know until the games are played. But yeah, sometimes that losing just weighs on the organization, puts everyone in a negative frame of mind. And so they aren't as forward in their interviews as you would like. Yeah, I agree that them being in a positive frame of mind, that helps as well, gets you the kind of answers that you want. Right. And like throughout the doldrums of an NBA season, like the answers kind of get a little bit repetitive, right? Like sure. Steven Silas is going to say the same thing on game seven of the season that he's going to say on game 72. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not going to make a difference. It's just coach speak. Um, same thing with the players they're, they're going to, you know, get into a, a rhythm and say the same answers over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Whereas on media day, everything's fresh. So yep. I ask you this every year, but last year I didn't get to, I didn't get to, you know, ask you properly because the answer was so clearly James Harden mm-hmm. this year. It could be anybody. Ben, who are you most looking forward to interviewing on Media Day and why? Raphael Stone, because they need to be on the record about what's happening with John Wall. And I suppose I'll add a part B to that. I don't know if they'll make John Wall available. If they do, then of course he's part B of that. I would say in general, it's the John Wall situation. Definitely Raphael Stone, because we know he'll be available. And then we'll see about Wall. I mean, I know it's an awkward situation, but he is under contract. He is going to be reporting to camp. So maybe they do put him on the stand because at some point they are going to have to get that interview out of the way. But the reason that, to me, you have to ask about that, it's not as much of a cloud as the James Harden thing, not even close. You're exactly right about that. But with that said, this arrangement has so many different ways that it could ultimately end. And what I want to know, how committed are both sides to this arrangement that they've worked out where he's going to be around the team and simply not play? From the Rockets standpoint, is that for sure through the entire season? What happens if, say, there's an injury to Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green? What happens if, and I know it's unlikely, but they outperform expectations and somehow they're in the play-in mix and everybody's got these good vibes and all of a sudden there's a clear upgrade to where John Wall is definitely a better backup point guard than DJ Augustine. And if there's nothing cooking on the trade market, would you consider adding him to a limited role to be part of a playoff push when the alternative is him just sitting at home? And from John Wall's perspective, is he truly willing to sit out a season? I think we can all be pretty confident that in the 2022 offseason, one way or another, there can be a resolution, be it a team trading for him because he's an expiring contract or simply a buyout, which I think the Rockets would do at that point because he's in his final year. They can resolve this in July 2022, one way or another. We don't know what can happen leading up to the trade deadline. I think everybody's hopeful that maybe when he's owed less in the way of cash payments that more teams suddenly have interest. I think that's a possibility. And perhaps if there's injuries or a team underachieving, uh, that sort of incentivizes someone to push their chips in a little bit, or not really chips, because clearly he's a negative asset at this point based on the contract, but be willing to take the gamble on Wall. I think that's what everyone is hoping. And I think somewhere John Wall, Rich Paul, in the back of their minds, They're thinking, hey, even though we're saying this now, we think that January or February, something will line up. And if not, maybe they can put the screws on the Rockets for a buyout at that time. Are they willing to wait until next summer? Because I don't think the Rockets want to do a buyout in, say, post-deadline next February, because it's entirely possible that Wall could be a trade asset as an expiring salary in the summer or could be useful for matching purposes even if there's a star that becomes available. You don't want to punt on that final year that quickly. So the point is there's so many moving pieces to this Salman. And right now it seems like a perfect arrangement because, yeah, if he's truly willing to sit out the year, then, yeah, there's going to be a ton more options that present themselves to the Rockets and to John Wall next summer. But that's almost unprecedented for a guy who, at 31 years old, doesn't really have that many close to prime years left to be willing to miss an entire NBA season. That is extraordinarily rare. And I'm just willing, you know, I'm just wondering how willing both parties are to really, when the chips are down, stick to this plan. Again, not saying it's nearly the stakes as James Harden, you know, if. John Wall and Rich Paul start trying to squeeze the Rockets behind the scenes. It's not nearly as devastating as, you know, if Harden tries to force his way out and get them into a bad deal. But at the same time, it is meaningful. And in a season that 
for the most part, assuming these young guys develop, I, I feel like you're going to, regardless of record, feel pretty good about this year because you're going to be getting, giving minutes to guys that are a big part of your future, and conceivably they should be improving. And again, the wall situation is just sort of the one outlier in which you don't really know how this is going to go. It could be a negative. And even though the story leaked a couple of weeks ago, the Rockets didn't issue a statement. Wall didn't issue a statement. All of that was just anonymously sourced stuff to media members across the league, national and local. This will be the first time that anybody talks about it on the record. Curious to see what they say and how firmly they're committed to uh, the plan that's been leaked. Uh, Great answer. Uh, What I would say is I'm not really sure what kind of screws Rich Paul's camp can really pull. I mean, this is the first time Clutch has really been in a a position of weakness, right? Like what, what, like they have the worst contract in the league. Yeah. And I, 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 Ahead, yeah, I would generally agree with you. I would just say never underestimate Rich Paul. So uh, while in theory I'm with you, that's all I would add is that it is Rich Paul. So you sort of have to keep that in mind. Sure. I I, I just like the Rockets don't want John Wall around. Like it's not it's not going to hurt them if he pouts and sits out. So like what cards are there? I, ju- I just mm-hmm. I'm, tr- I'm looking at the table. I don't see any moves left. And I think this is their way of getting ahead of it. Uh, well, I, I actually have an answer for John Wall in a little, in a little bit. I want to talk about him in a second. But a lot of times for this question, I kind of defaulted to Daryl Morey because Morey was really candid with us and maybe sometimes to his own detriment. He got fined a lot by the league office behind the scenes. But he was the figurehead for the organization for over a decade and really a bouncing board for any questions people had about the Rockets. That's no longer the case. There is no figurehead right now. And I think the closest thing to that is probably Jalen Green. But mm. that's not my answer to this question. My answer here is actually Kevin Porter Jr. Okay. I've written about him a lot over the past month. I personally believe he's the most compelling storyline the Rockets have next season. And this is his third season in the league. It may not feel like that because he's, he hasn't even played 82 games yet. But he's 21 mm. years old now. And this is usually the, that point where if there's an all-star in there somewhere, we start to see that potential. The Rockets yeah. are clearly clearing the path for him. With, with John Wall gone, the starting point guard spot is going to be his on opening night. He's going to get a ton of usage, and he's probably going to be Houston's best playmaker. Uh, there's also a major financial incentive for him to perform, and I feel like nobody's talking about this. This is kind of the storyline g- going into the season that really no one's really touched upon. But he's extension yeah. eligible after this season. And if he doesn't get that extension, he's going to try. He's going to have to try his luck in restricted free agency the following mm-hmm. summer. And I thought it was bold for Houston to try Kevin Porter Jr. at point guard last season. But the mm-hmm. more and more I think about it, the more I feel like it's his natural position in the NBA. Like he really surprised me with how good of a passer he is. But he still has a lot of things to clean up. Uh, the defense is obviously god awful. The shooting efficiency is not there yet. He's like fifty three percent true shooting. Has to get to like fifty five percent. That's like the average. The ter- the assist to turnover ratio is really poor. He's got he's got to do a better job at handling the basketball. Um, the ball handling like he he often dribbles the ball too high or too low. It's not tight enough yet. He has to clean that up. Mm-hmm. And. There's just a lot of room for improvement. And I want to see if the work he put in this summer pays off during the season. Like, he is the person I'm most looking forward to interviewing. Yeah, and I think we should clarify. I said earlier that players and coaches aren't available in the offseason. There is an exception in this case that we're not used to because the Rockets had those four first-round rookies. So one reason why I have Jalen Green slightly lower on my tier list is because we did already have some of those big picture discussions when he was drafted and that press conference after the draft with Jalen, uh, Josh Christopher, Sengun, uh, we did hear from a number of the rookies. And of course, Raphael Stone was there as well. Everyone but uh, Garuba, for that matter, because he still wasn't in the States yet. But we did get a lot of those answers. The one thing I do want to hear from Jalen is, is he 100% cleared? Is the hamstring in the past? Because even though it was summer league, it's only been six weeks because of the disjointed calendar. It's only been six weeks between when that hamstring was injured and when training camp is going to start on Tuesday. And obviously, hamstrings are something that can linger. So I do want to know, is he past that? But that's more of just a day-to-day. That's not, well, we hope it's not a season-long thing that Rockets fans have to worry about. But yeah, the rookies, besides the fact that they're at a less interesting point in their development cycle simply or at least contractually because of course they're under club control for 
up to four years, uh, we already have had those discussions with guys like Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. This is our first chance to talk to them since last season ended. And I think you're onto something with Kevin Porter Jr. I'll just throw Christian Wood into the mix for very similar contractual reasons, because, of course, his deal is up after the 2022-2023 season, which means that ideally by the trade deadline, but at the latest, I would say by next offseason, they've got to figure out whether Christian Wood can work with their timeline. And what I mean by that is, will it make sense to potentially splurge on Christian Wood at max or close to a max level to keep him with the team. Now, they will have his bird rights, so that makes it a little bit easier. But the case against it is that, well, you know, if you're not a championship contender yet and you don't have your foundation guys in peace, Jalen Green in place, Jalen Green is one of them, but we'll see what other pieces that they can uh, potentially add in the draft next year. At the moment, they're poised to have a lot of flexibility uh, salary cap wise in 2023. So maybe you know, you can keep Woods cap hold on the books, sign him after whatever else you do in that free agency, or maybe there's a trade that materializes between now and then, and then basically give Wood the big contract he wants towards the end of last season. He said he viewed himself as a max player. I remember that very well in one of his media availabilities, a rare sort of uh, under the hood look, the bigger picture, if you will, at what these guys are thinking. And so, yeah, when he said he viewed himself as a max player, that set off some alarm bells because, hey, there's it's not 100% that the Rockets will be in a spot by 2023 that they're comfortable giving him that kind of money. I think they would if they feel a contender's in place, but they can't do it if it's going to limit their flexibility and they're not there yet. So it's a big year, I feel like, for Christian Wood and the Rockets to see if they're on the same uh, timeline. I don't know that you can get any closer to an answer on media day because a lot of it's going to depend on exactly what happens um, on the court and, of course, other acquisitions or draft picks that Rafael Stone is able to make over the coming months and years. But I do think that it's important to at least ask the question, how much is he thinking about it? How much is it sort of weighing on his mind? Because at some point, it's not immediate, but perhaps as soon as the deadline and at a bare minimum, I think by the 2022 offseason, you do want to know whether you're on the same page or not. Because if you wait until, say, February 2023, that's the last possible minute that you can trade Wood, you're not going to be able to get max value. If you feel like you're not on the same timeline, it's not going to work, and you do want to flip him for something that's closer to the age slash NBA years. And sometimes age is overplayed because Christian Wood is still relatively young, uh, 26 years old, but he's played so many years in the NBA that contractually he's not nearly the same as all the guys that are on their first year contracts or, or first uh, career contracts like Kevin Porter Jr. And of course, all the rookies that have just added. So you do want to see where you're at. That's sort of an undercurrent to this season. And then if it doesn't work out, I don't think you can take him into the 2022-2023 season if you feel like you know it's not going to work out. So ideally, you want to have some sort of resolution, maybe as soon as the deadline, but at the latest, I would say by the 2022 offseason. And I think at a bare minimum, it's helpful to ask the question now and see sort of where everybody's at in their thought process. Yeah, with uh, with this conversation, I always default to like, listen, Christian Wood's going to be 27 at the mm-hmm. start of next season, and he'll have one year remaining at the at the start of that season, and the rest of the Rockets' core is going to still be on their rookie deal. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right; they they have to make a decision on him fairly quickly because he only has two years remaining as of this moment. The February trade deadline is going to be the Rockets' first opportunity to consider moving. I'm not saying they should move him. I'm saying that's yeah. their first opportunity to consider it. Um, and in 2023, like he's going to be a free agent and the Rockets are going to have two max spots. Like As of right now, mm-hmm. because of Eric Gordon's uh, expiring contract, because of John Wall's expiring contract, I'm, I'm assuming if they trade those guys, they're going to still want to keep 2023 open. So, yeah. so if those contracts expire, they're going to have a crap ton of money available that summer. Yeah, And I, there's a way to keep him if you use that money and then go back and sign him with bird rights, right? It's, yep. a, little, it's a little risky, but if you have that conversation with him, then you can keep him. There's or also... If- yeah, I was going to say, if also when there's less free agents, this has been talked about a lot of late because so many uh, young stars are kind of using the template of get my money as soon as it's available and then try to force their way out like Ben Simmons is doing in Philadelphia and like it's been speculated, perhaps Zion in New Orleans. And 
so it might be that that 2023 cap space isn't directly used in free agency, but either way, it's still useful because you can facilitate a trade in which you take a disgruntled star elsewhere largely into that cap space. And then it's the same principle because you would um, you would basically then sign Christian Wood after the fact. So I just want to point that out because some people will push back saying, hey, there's less star free agents. I'm reading this all the time from people like Bobby Marks that are really smart. Yes, that's true. But the financial flexibility angle is still important because even if they aren't free agents, the flexibility, the cap room is still important when you're taking on those trades and thus you're not having to send back anywhere near the bad money to the team that is trading the star. And also one more point that I want to emphasize, you made it perfectly. I just want to underscore it. It's not about age. It's about contract years. That's where a lot of people go sideways. I hear a lot of people saying, Christian Wood's only 26 years old. He can grow with this team. Why are you talking about trading him? Again, the age is fine in a vacuum. It's the fact that he's much closer to his prime NBA contract years, and thus you don't have those years of relatively cheap club control labor that you do with obviously the rookies, but even Kevin Porter Jr. the next couple of years. So you do have some harder decisions to make. And of course, when Wood's going to be a free agent, he would be unrestricted. Whereas Kevin Porter Jr., even after year four, he's restricted. So again, just underscoring the points that you made, that's why even if on the surface, it looks like, hey, Christian Wood is relatively young and maybe you don't need that cap room in free agency to literally sign someone at the same time it is still important yeah and listen if if the the thing about the star free agents in 2023 like listen we don't 2023 is far enough away where there's a possibility that there are some more star free agents available in 2023 what i mean by that is there are players that are going to grow into stars by that point that are free agents that summer. You don't know that, but it's there's always that possibility, right? We didn't know before Jimmy Butler's free agency that he was going to be as good as he was, and he did. And like that, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Players take jumps, uh, so it's it's hard to really know how good that free agency is two years out. But um, let's just say they they miss out on all their guys, right? Like like they miss out on all their targets. And here's the thing: Christian Wood's not a bad consolation prize. Right, like I, like the, the, this is where like I, I kind of sympathize with Rockets fans that really want to keep them. Like, listen, like if if in twenty twenty three you strike out with everybody you're trying to get, you you have all that money available, and that's pretty much the only summer you're gonna have to spend it because you have the extensions of Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Alperin Shengun, like all these rookies that you just drafted. You're gonna have to sign them long term. You only have one year to use that money. You have one year. So if right. if you strike out with all these guys, well, you can you can resign here with your cap space. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's probably your last resort, right? You you'd ideally like to sign him with bird rights or trade him right now to get the most possible value. But if you can't do both those things, you can. He's a consolation. He's not not the worst consolation prize in free agency. Yeah, absolutely not. And again, I think it's just one of those things where people want a resolution and. It depends. That's the answer. And whether it makes sense one way or another, it's going to depend on certainly the timeline. How quickly did these guys develop? How quickly is Rafael Stone able to add other foundational pieces, be it the draft, trades, free agency? All of this is it depends. And, you know, the scenario where he's a decent fallback, that's a plan too. The point is we don't know and it's okay not to have an answer. I feel like a lot of people want a firm answer one way or another. And I do think it's okay, at least for the next year to sort of say, Hey, we don't a hundred percent know yet. And that's fine. And so I think, you know, the, the best thing you can do in this situation is to keep an open mind. Don't commit yourself one way or the other. Let's see what happens. Well, first off with Christian Wood on the floor. I mean, there were moments last year where he legitimately looked like a borderline all-star. I think people forget that because even when he came back from the ankle injury, he was never as explosive. It clearly limited what he could do. If you go back and look at those games and not coincidentally, that was a stretch in which they won uh, six in a row, eight of nine, even after the Harden deal for the most part, that was with a healthy Christian Wood. I think we're going to have that this year because they have the offseason to finally get those ankles healthy. Hopefully they had him working on some other things um, like Steph Curry had to do early in his career, perhaps using some high tops. We'll have to see what happens. But I think it's easy to forget how explosive he looked before the ankle injuries, and perhaps that changes the value equation. But no matter what, the contract is going to be a storyline. It's not something you have to form a definitive conclusion on right now. But to get back to you know, to spin it full circle back to media day, it is something that's important to at least ask about and see where everybody's head is at entering the season.
Yeah, and it's it's at the forefront of a lot of people's minds even more now that the Rockets drafted more big men, right? They drafted mm-hmm. Usman Garuba and Elperin Shengun, and those guys are going to want minutes. Now, some of those guys may get minutes right away, but some of those guys aren't going to have the, the possibility of getting minutes because they have Christian Wood and Daniel Tice ahead of them in the rotation, right? So like it's, it, that's why people are thinking about it right now. I'll be honest, I didn't expect to spend 10 minutes on Christian Wood today, but uh, it was a decent conversation. What? Mm-hmm. On to the next question. What's one question that's been eating at you all summer that you haven't had the chance to ask the Rockets? And by the way, this isn't a theoretical conversation. We've both mm-hmm. taken questions posed on this podcast and taken it to media day. I, I remember one year I really wanted to ask Daryl Morey up at the, about the organization's hesitancy to pay the luxury tax because they had just dodged it again. And a friend of the podcast, Ali Kanbijani, asked me before Daryl Morey went up to speak if I was actually going to ask him the question. And I was like, if no one's, no one else is going to ask it, damn right I'm going to ask it, right? Like, And I did, and it was a little awkward, but it was something that needed to be asked, and Daryl doesn't shy away from questions like that. And Ben has done the same with some of his questions. So this is not a theoretical conversation. Mm-hmm. Whatever Ben answers, he's probably going to ask or at least wait for someone else to ask. So Ben, yeah. what question do you really want to ask? What's a burning question for you? Yeah, so I'll give you two because neither are huge. Uh, I suppose the one I'll label honorable mention would be... Um... Daniel Tice, why did he sign in Houston? A guy who's 29 years old. This is basically his last main deal. He got, you know, the full MLE or close to it in terms of the money. My guess is he could have gotten it or something close to that other places. And a guy with his profile, he's very strong defensively, but limited offensively. Typically, those guys prefer to be in winning situations where their sort of deficiencies on offense can be masked a little bit, if you will. Um, why did he want to be here at this stage of his career? I do think that part of it is that uh, perhaps they think that he's a good fit with Christian Wood. Perhaps they think that the timeline can be expedited a little bit in terms of when this team can win. But I don't think Daniel Tice, while it was a decent contract, I don't think it's so laughably overpaid that he just had to take it and worry about the rest later. So I want to know why did he see himself as a fit here? But the one that I really want to answer on, and I don't know if we'll get the question, how happy is Eric Gordon to be in this situation? Because unlike John Wall, uh, he has a small enough contract, and everyone knows it's basically just two years left at about $19 million a season. That final year is not going to kick in because he's not going to be an all-star. And at least in Houston, he's not going to win a championship. Now, if he gets traded somewhere and wins a championship, it, it, you know, it would become guaranteed. But at that point, the team would overwhelmingly love to have that scenario because it means they won the NBA championship. Actually, I think that was a fairly brilliant incentive by Daryl Morey because in terms of the trade value, the only way it kicks in is if the team gets the ultimate prize. And of course, there's a huge cash influx of winning it all as well. So that's a pretty brilliant one. And I appreciate Daryl Morey for putting that in. But the bottom line is, unlike John Wall, and I think we know the reason they're holding him out is because Wall to succeed needs the ball in his hands. He is relatively ball dominant and of course they want as you said earlier to see kevin porter jr as a point guard rafael stone has been pretty explicit this offseason in saying that that's where they view uh kpj's ideal position and kpj has said that himself and so to truly give him the reins he doesn't need to be sharing the floor with john wall and it's not really realistic to have john wall especially for a rebuilding team take like a 12 minutes per game role off the bench come on now now maybe if they start winning at a higher level that's a discussion we can have at a later date as i mentioned earlier but um as far as the eric gordon question unlike john wall he is a fit i thought did you read the caitlin cooper article in 538 yesterday no i didn't okay you strongly should 538 uh published an article on why oh was it the spacing Okay. Yes, yeah, I remember. And this, shooting yeah. accuracy should not be correlated perfectly with spacing because simply volume shooting, and Eric Gordon is the perfect example. Even if your percentage is low, and fans just have a tendency to say, "Hey, if this guy isn't shooting well, then he's not spacing the floor." Because in a perfectly logical world, then defenders respect you in a tight correlation with how likely you are to make a shot. In reality, there's a lot of different things that go into it. Your reputation, are you shooting, say, from the corner? Are you comfortable shooting from up top, above the break? Are you comfortable 
just outside the three-point line, or can you take it, as Eric Gordon often does, out to 27, 28 feet? And because of those confluence of factors, even though the shooting accuracy has not been there the last couple of years, Eric Gordon is still extremely valuable as a floor spacer. As we've talked about a lot on this podcast, he's super underrated defensively. His instincts, he's so strong. We've seen him turn it up in the playoffs time and time again, which makes him potentially more valuable in a trade. But it's also very valuable to this team because Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, these are super young guys that at this point in their careers are not likely to be good defensively. So to have a guy like Gordon that can guard so many different positions on the perimeter, he can switch, he's tough. Offensively, he can do a lot of things, but he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. He can space the floor. There are a lot of reasons that you could just keep Eric Gordon under contract, never trade him, and he could help the development of your young players. And I do think that's a path the Rockets are considering, but that only works if he's truly happy to be here and if he's buying in. If his practice habits are slipping, and and I've heard behind the scenes that he's a fantastic practice guy, players love him, all those things, will that attitude linger now this is a clear rebuilding situation? Because even last year, going into the year, they had James Harden. There was always, even if it was just 5%, some sliver of hope that you never know, that they catch lightning in a bottle, James Harden decides to give it another go, or they table the trade until the summer and you make one more run at it. This is the first year they enter truly in a rebuilding situation. Is Eric Gordon committed to that model? I hope he is. The interview that he gave with Kelly Eco suggested, well, it was sort of he was so diplomatic about it. He said that more or less that you know, he was open to being moved, but he would just keep his head down and focus on the job at hand. I think that was leaked through sources, but of course uh, Kelly did speak with Eric for the article. And so I just want to know where his head is at because while I'm not saying you have to keep Eric Gordon on this roster no matter what, There is a case where there is value, especially if the team starts winning at a higher level than we think, to where the value of keeping Eric Gordon and what he can do for the other young players on your roster might be better than what you could get by trade, at least in the short term. And of course, maybe the offers increase as you get closer to the deadline, as he's owed less money. You have to wait and see. But I just want to see how bought in is Eric Gordon, because if he is bought in, If he is, and it's not just James Harden being a malcontent, you know, it it was pretty clear during last season that PJ Tucker sort of checked out when it was clear what was coming down the pike and he didn't want to be a part of this. And that sort of forced, not saying he was a bad teammate, but he just wasn't really helping. And at that point, even if it was just, say, a 10 pick increase in the draft, which is what the Rockets got out of it and led to them getting uh, either Garuba or Christopher, forgetting which one that was, then it made sense for them to do that. However, at least on paper, I could see a path to where Eric Gordon is really useful to this team if he wants to be there. He hasn't talked since last season, and he's typically a very good interview. He's a guy, who, and you know, we always joke on Twitter about the fun meter. Well, that's because he's bluntly honest in most cases with his feelings where he's at. So I want to see, is he open-minded to this? Because if he's open-minded to this, I could see Eric Gordon as an underrated part of this team the next couple of years. And I think it'd also be, you know, we talked about all the changes in the organization leading off. We're looking at Craig Ackerman and, and that kind of stuff. I think it's also cool to have one connection to the glory days. Now I know they weren't championship days, but those really dominant uh, perennial contenders of the Harden era, Eric Gordon is sort of the one bridge to that generation in some ways. Yeah. I think it's cool to have him around and I think it's fun to watch him. So Not like a huge question. Again, the stakes for this media day are a lot lower than they were a year ago with James Harden. But if you had to ask, other than the John Wall situation, one thing that I want to know, it's where Eric Gordon's head is at. Yeah, so I wrote about Eric Gordon yesterday. Like, I think that guy was probably the most underappreciated guy in the Harden era. Like, in terms Mm -hmm. of guy who who provided tremendous on-the-court value. Uh, yep. was a playoff performer. Like that guy showed up every yep. single time he was healthy for a playoff game uh, and always usually performed well, was really versatile in the way you could use him. Like he could play small forward, shooting guard, whatever the hell you wanted him to play, could defend bigger guys, smaller guys, really quick off, like laterally. He defended, you know, famously shut down Donovan Mitchell, that one Utah series. So like, I think he's a really valuable player. At the same yep. time, there's a specific price point I would place on him to where if if I can't get back this, I'm not moving him. And what I'm yep, what I mean by agreed. that is I'm I'm only trading him for one for if I'm getting a back a first round pick and I'm only trading him if the contracts expire in 2023. Like that like that that's why yeah. there shouldn't be a rush to trade him because because his contract is so favorably lined up for that summer. 
where the Rockets open up so much space, why why move him? Like because if 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 I can't get what I want back, if if someone's yeah. offering me a terrible contract that dips that dips into that twenty twenty three space, why would I want to move him? Yeah. So on a smaller scale, it's at. the same thing. Yeah, on the smaller, it's a smaller scale, but it's similar logic to John Wall, and that you would rather him simply roll off than take a bad trade because the worst case scenario, you're less than two years away from having significant financial flexibility based on those contracts. Yeah. So I actually got to get my question off uh, during that post-draft availability uh, to Jalen Green. And it was basically, did he see himself as like a franchise player who could lead Houston back to the playoffs one day? Because he had all these individual goals that he, ha- that he had laid out, rookie of the year, all-star, all-defense, etc. And I just wanted to know what he thought he could, like if he could be a cornerstone type player. Because for the Rockets, that's really what it's all about. That's really sure. what all of next season's going to be about, to be to be honest. like That's what most people are going to tune into the Rockets to see. And they clearly view him as someone who could be a franchise player because they took him second in a very talented draft class, and, they, and he clearly views himself as that kind of leader. So I got my answer. I guess if I had to think of another question, it's for, it's for Rafael Stone. It's, it's kind of what you talked about earlier. If I had a wild prediction for the Rockets this season, it's that Wall gets bought out following the February trade deadline. Because I don't think Houston will find a suitor for him. And I don't think Wall wants to spend another year on the shelf because he already spent yeah. two, two years on the shelf with the Achilles and the bone spurs. So I, I think that's my question. I, is, 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 are they closing that option out? Like, Are you, are you just yeah. closed off to the idea of buying out John Wall this season? Or yeah. Is that even something you discussed with them? Yeah. See, I don't think they want to do that. That's what I was saying earlier because of the fact that when he's an expiring next summer – he could potentially be worst case neutral and maybe help you line up something in a trade that you might want. Um, but there could come a point where even if that potential value is there, if John Wall wants to play, it's not worth it to sort of create a little bit of animosity because we've seen it pretty clearly, Raphael Stone is putting a premium on player and agent relationships around the league. In some ways, it's a little bit different than the Daryl Morey era. You can see that they're really prioritizing. They did it with the Harden trade. They did it with P.J. Tucker, sending them somewhere that they truly wanted to go. And if Wall really wants out after the deadline, if he really wants to play, that I could see them saying, you know what, even if there's a possibility we might could use that salary contract in the summer, then we'll just do right by him and let him go. And so, yeah, that ties back into earlier. How committed are both parties to this? I think in a perfect world, you'd wait until the summer. Maybe you get lucky and a trade suitor emerges. Worst case, you could just do a buyout then. But from a practical standpoint, if he wants out, it might be better just to sort of uh, do right by John Wall and Rich Paul and the associated benefits that come from uh, basically taking care of a five-time all-star and one of the NBA's biggest names. Yeah, and the Kemba Walker buyout has me rethinking how valuable expiring contracts are because if he got bought out, and obviously Oklahoma City is one of the best front offices in the NBA, they they obviously thought about the idea of waiting till Kemba's an expiring contract as well, and they just they decided against that. They decided it's just better to buy him out right now. So I, I'm kind of questioning, you know, how how valuable is that expiring contract in the modern NBA? Is it as valuable as we still think it is? Is it, can you still fetch? decent value or at least neutral value from an expiring so like that's that's kind of why i say you know it might be beneficial to just kind of get it over with just get just see if you can get a few million dollars back uh from john wall and you know i think john wall is probably wants to spend he probably wants to get back to playing meaningful basketball and he's not going to do that in houston he's not going to do that at any point this year if he intends to not seek a buyout Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that um I'm going to cheat here and include another question. I actually want to ask Rafael Stone about the organization's timeline for this rebuild because he sort of talked about how they wanted to remain competitive, but it's pretty clear they're going to be pretty bad next season. Like they have a 21 year old starting at point guard, right? Like, and they have these picks. 19 year old at two guard. Right. Yeah. And they, they have these picks coming up in 2024 that they owe to Oklahoma City. And even though they have light protections on it, like they're light protections, like they. They also have a ton of cap space coming up on 20, in 2023. Like, how do they envision the next two seasons? Is, is this basically their window to tank and then st- start trying to compete after that? Like, I want to know what they have in mind because at some point they're going to need to turn around pretty quickly so those picks don't end up being valuable, uh, you know, to Oklahoma City. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to that same point, I do wonder if they're going to um, try and maximize the tw- at least one of the 2022 and 2023 picks. I did Locked in Rockets with Jackson Gatlin uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about what you would and wouldn't give up in a hypothetical Ben Simmons proposal. And I was saying I would not touch the 2022 or 2023 Houston first, because while Raphael Stone has talked about the importance of having future picks from other teams so that you don't necessarily have to be bad to keep having a draft pipeline. At the same time, you don't want to be on the other extreme either to where you have no control over your situation. And if you need a foundational piece, uh, you've got to hope that one of these picks from Brooklyn or Milwaukee or someone like that uh, somehow becomes bad. Maybe they have a Golden State Warriors type year where they all get uh, injured or something like that. And the timing is just perfect. But the the, the point is that those picks you have the next two years, that's the one opportunity when you control it. You, If you need to be bad, not that they would outright tank, but we know what they did last year. They basically pivoted to a tank, whether they admitted or not, when it was clear that there was nothing happening with that particular season. So that optionality is important. And then after 2023, now certainly you don't want Oklahoma City, who's on a similar timeline to you, to benefit from your picks being bad then. I think that's a very fair point by you because they could be a rival to you in five or so years because you're sort of on the same rebuilding timeline. But I also think beyond that, once you get past 2024, or once you get to 2024, I should say, you no longer have direct control because all your future draft assets, if they're good at all, are headed to Oklahoma City. In terms of what happens with the Brooklyn and Milwaukee picks, who the hell knows? That's a crapshoot. Now, maybe by then they'll be attractive as a free agent slash trade destination and the draft becomes uh less important slightly i don't know but the point is these next two years are the last time that you have full control of your picks so that's why to me number one it's important to keep them uh in the context of these ben simmons proposals that keep being thrown around and secondly even aside from any simmons hypothetical is there pressure to maximize those because that's really your last shot in this era to truly control to an extent. Now, I know the lottery is a bit of a crapshoot, especially with the flattened odds, but that's your last time to truly control the quality, or at least to a large extent, the quality of asset that you get. So while I'll never say they're outright committed to tanking, at the same time, I do wonder if that thought is sort of in their mind. Yeah, it's also important to point out, like you need to be an attractive destination in 2023. You just can't be losing that final year, right? Like you, you can obviously try to maximize how good that pick's going to be but you can't be like a team that doesn't look like it has a future you have to have you have to be like an attractive destination to these free agents just because you have the two max spots doesn't mean fringe free agents are just going to flock to you they're obviously going to look around look at their other options so you have to become like it has to become pretty obvious that the rockets are on their way towards winning by that point like it they don't have mm-hmm. to be winning by that point but it should be clear that they're headed in that direction by that point point. and i think yeah. i think the, the shangun trade kind of revealed it tipped houston's hand a little bit like they value picks in the immediate much more than they about they value picks in the future because they want they understand what their timeline is like they know like those picks are going to start coming up in 2024. We need to be good by then. And also mm. that 2023, you know, for Aiden class, like we need to be uh, attractive by then. So I think that's yes. kind of why I would look at the next two drafts as like drafts where they really get active on the trade market. Like I don't, sure. I'm not saying, I'm not saying they 100% trade the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn picks, but I think there's a real possibility that if they get, if they get appealing app, like off offers, I think those picks are on the table for trade. Yeah, I think that's quite possible. Yeah, maybe not all of them. In general, I think, by the way, this is just a random observation about while we're talking about these future picks. I think the the future Brooklyn swaps are underrated when we're talking about the, the value of these because everybody wants to talk about the picks that the Rockets directly own. Well, all of these from Brooklyn are basically like flyers they're basically lottery tickets and you hope that at least one year maybe it's more than one year if guys age out or demand trades leave in free agency whatever it may be but even if they don't then most teams will have a year like oklahoma city did in 2015 or uh golden state did in 2020 where everybody gets hurt and it's just not your year for one reason or another and sometimes it happens when you're just consistently good for such a long time there's so many games that you play that it makes you more prone to injuries just from attrition and everything that comes with that. 
And I think the swaps are underrated because basically whether you have the pick or it's the swap, basically what you're hoping for is a year where the stars align and Brooklyn is in the lottery and or maybe their late lottery, but you know that you have a fortuitous result in the lottery itself and they shoot up in the order. But either way, the swaps and the picks themselves are more or less the same thing because certainly while you're fine with a late first, it's better than not having it. What you're really hoping for is a year word alliance and you get a big time asset out of those. So that's why I, you know, I wouldn't move all of them, but I'm more open to moving them simply because I think the swaps will have value no matter what. I think that's something that is sort of being forgotten. So I'm open-minded, wouldn't trade all of them, but I would trade some of them because you do have those swaps in your back pocket to where there's still a chance that for one reason or another, if Brooklyn bottoms out, even if you trade some of those picks, you still might get lucky with the lottery, which is sort of the the calculus, or when I say lottery, I don't mean literally a lottery necessarily, just the lottery ticket aspect of those future picks. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I would be open to potentially moving those. Yeah, um, I really want to talk about Kevin Durant's extension, but we have placed a moratorium on Brooklyn yep. Nets extensions until okay. the start of the season for this podcast specifically, because there's a po- <laughs> there's a possibility that more come down the pipeline. It's better to just talk about it all at once. Um, but yeah, uh, this was really fun, Ben. I really enjoy doing this podcast with you every year because we again we get this big picture yep, preview of the Rockets, and we don't have to actually preview the season because this does preview the season in a sense. Right. Exactly. Um, where can we find your work and follow you on social media? Yep, pretty simple. Ben Dubose on Twitter, the Rockets Wire on Twitter, and RocketsWire.usatoday.com for the stories. And, of course, with uh, Media Day and training camp availabilities, uh, we should be back to having more daily updates, definitely this next week. And then, well, after this next week, it's the preseason. So, yeah, we're definitely back in daily mode now. So check out RocketsWire. Got all sorts of content. Uh, are you doing Media Day in person or on Zoom this yeah. week? Yeah, I'm going in person this year. I'm excited. Uh, you do have to, you know, it's different. I had to email them my uh, vaccination record yeah. uh, because anybody that's even remotely close to an NBA player or coach is going to obviously have to be that this year. But um, yeah, other than that, I'm excited to be back in person again. I just think it facilitates a little bit better uh, a conversation, especially with the follow-ups than what you can get on Zoom. Yeah, they gave me the option to bring my my card with me, so I'm, that's that's what I'm gonna do. I get it's it's a it's a little weird to send my 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 vaccination card over the email. <laughs> I got you. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and do that. But um, I'll, I'll take care, man. I'll talk to you in a couple of days, I guess. Absolutely. See you there.